So James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Hello. Good morning, everyone. I thought maybe there weren't, wouldn't be all that many people because it's January and people go away, but it's great to see so many people here today. It's wonderful, and it's great to be with you. Um, and it's great to see that uh, you have a desire to come to church. Um, everything okay? Okay, great. Why don't we just pray that God will speak to us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you'll help us to listen. And more than that, Father, that you'll help us to put it into action in our lives. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. um, As I was looking at this passage, I was um, thinking about how many hours people spend listening to God's word. If you come to church every week... Um, you know, you might listen to a 30-minute sermon once a week. And if you add all that up, say you don't go to church every week, but it's most weeks, that's roughly about 20 hours a year. If you come to church for 40 of the weeks, half an hour a week, that's about 20 hours. Um, if you add a 15-minute quiet time and you actually spend time reading God's Word as well, uh, that adds up. Um, even if you just do that four days a week, say you're not you know, super diligent in your quiet times, I'm not going to ask you how many days a week you read your Bible this week, but say you just read your Bible for, and, and pray for 15 minutes a day for four days a week. That's 50 hours a year. That's a lot, isn't it? That's 50 hours plus 20 hours in church. That's 70 hours. Now, say you're super committed to church, right, and you, and you attend a Bible study each week, so that might be another hour a week looking at God's word, and that'll be roughly another 50 hours. So that adds all that adds up to about 120 hours a year that you spend listening to God's word. That's quite a lot, isn't it? 120 hours a year, more so, more than most subjects you would actually do at school. The difference is that when you listen to the Bible, there's no marked homework. You don't have to submit an essay. You don't have to do an assignment. There's not actually a lot of accountability to say that you are actually applying what you are taught. 
you know, I come here, I, I preach God's word, but I don't come back next week and say, now did you actually do what I said? And ask you personally and individually and then give you a mark. Okay, uh, Alice, 70%, she put into action what I actually said. <laughs> oh, sometimes it would be fun if I could do that. Sometimes it would probably be very uncomfortable as well. <laughs> You know, so church can actually become like one of those subjects you sort of fill, take to fill up the timetable, but you don't actually have to do a lot of work to pass. You know, they're, they're kind of fun subjects, aren't they? But you don't actually have to work very hard or do very much. No homework, no exams equals no effort. So, it, you know, church can become one of those places or your attentiveness to studying the Bible can become, um, you know, one of those subjects that nobody takes very seriously, and that even the teacher doesn't take it all that seriously. But the thing is that studying God's Word is the most important thing that you can actually do with your life. Even more important than school. More important than going through university because the time that you spend developing your relationship with God and the way that you are living that out in your life is actually the most significant influence on your life and will determine the outcome of your life more than anything else that you can do. Do you believe that? I mean, I believe that, but I don't know if you do. Sometimes the way that we actually live out our lives don't actually reflect that. But... The way that you pay attention to God's word, the way you put it into action in your own life, actually shapes what you do. It shapes the decisions you make about your life. Uh, it shapes um, the type of person that you actually become. And ultimately, it will shape and determine the amount of joy and happiness that you get out of life. And ultimately, it will determine your destiny, where you actually end up when you pass on from this life, and you will. So what I want to ask you today, does God's word actually make a difference to you? Does it help you to forgive those who hurt you? Does it make a difference to the way that you react to people when they do things you don't like? You know, sometimes um, our attitude to God's word is a little bit like um, when I, my friend went to Ikea and he bought some really big bookcases and uh, he said, can you come and help me? So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm free this Saturday, I'll come and help you. And so I went over there and I... Uh, we started unpacking all these uh, pieces. They were massive pieces. And we opened the box and we got all these screws out. Um, and then um, we, got the, we found the instruction manual hidden in there, somewhere in the box, with all the wrapping. And we put the first bookcase together. And uh, then I went out. I had to do some errands. So I went out to get lunch and to do a couple of things. And I, came, I was gone for a couple of hours. And when I came back, I actually thought he might be finished with the second one. But he hadn't. When I got back, I found that he was just sitting there reading the manual. 
And I said, what are you doing? You know, you haven't done anything. I thought at least you'd have a bit of a go and start putting some things together. And he said, oh, no, I'm, I just enjoy reading the manual. <laughs> and I said, well, I've been gone for two hours and I haven't done, I, you haven't done a thing. Oh, he said, I didn't think about it. I just got so involved in reading all about it and how to put the bookcase together and how the manual is so well written. I just love looking at the manual. That doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> you know, God, God's word is much more than an instruction manual. God's message to us, um, you know, it's, it's God's message to us through, through the power of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus has done for us. And it should be shaping and transforming our lives. You know, it's not information, but it's about transformation. And um, if you think that this passage is just a, a lot of bunch of stuff about doing, it's actually not. The context, and, and I think it's a bit of a shame in the way that they've split the passage in our Bibles. Because in verse 19, it goes straight into what we should be doing. And that's actually because, it's, it's a shame because it actually hinges on what happens before that. In verse 18, I want you to look at verse 18 first. And it says there that James reminds us uh, that he chose, that's God, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might become a kind of first fruits of all that he created. So James reminds us that it's not just about doing, it's actually God's word in action here. We're talking about God's word has changed our lives. He gave us birth through the word of truth. So God's word has come to us and it's like we have been reborn. He, we might become kind of first fruits. So we become the, the beginning of a new life so that people can see you know, the first fruits was the first fruits of a harvest, right? So if the first fruits are really good, then you could then you could be pretty confident that the harvest was going to be a good one. You look at the apple and you think, wow, that's a great apple. That means that all the other apples that are coming are also going to be really good. And so people should be looking at you and seeing the fruits of what it means to be born again, but what it means to be reborn through the word of truth in your life. Okay? And so what kind of fruit is that? Well, in Galatians, uh, Paul reminds us, he said, the fruits of the spirit, the, the kind of the first fruits that should be coming out, is things like kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, patience, Is that what people see in your life? Love, joy. Do you ask your group of friends around you? Hey, do, do, do you see love and joy and kindness and goodness and patience and gentleness and self-control in my life? I don't know. Do they? Does your family see that? Does your people at work? See that? Do they see the first fruits coming out in your life? 
No, of course we all fail. I'm not saying we're perfect. None of us are. And sometimes we lose it. That's, that's perfectly understandable. But you know, as a, as a general rule, these things are the things that should be coming out in our lives. And, and James then goes on to explain more about what that actually looks like in practical terms. Okay. And so when we receive God's word in verses 18 to 22, the things that should be coming out is first of all that we listen quickly. And you'll see, if you read the whole thing from verses 19 through to 27, you'll see that the whole idea about listening comes out at least three times. And this isn't just a passive listening like you're doing now. Some of you might be thinking about something else completely. Your holiday or, you know, <laughs> some, some trouble in your life. Okay? But what it's talking about when it's talking about listening in this particular context, in this passage here, is an active listening. It's listening with intent. It's really paying attention and saying, how can I take this and how can I then apply it into my own life? Uh, verse 25 sums it up. And, and encourage us, uh, it uses the words, looking intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And this means listening with an intention of putting it into action straight away. It also says to speak slowly. Now, what I think, I, what I don't think it's talking about here is just talking about your relationship with another person. I think it's actually talking about our general disposition, and that includes our relationship with God too. So when we're listening, we're not just thinking, okay, this passage is talking about when we're finished with this service and I'm at morning tea, I need to be really listening to people. Well, that's that's good, but listening also means being quick to listen to God, being quick to listen to anybody, um, and and then speaking slowly. You know, it's referring to our general character in the way that we relate to God and also to other people. So often we react to things and say things because we don't know the whole picture or we make assumptions about people or we're very quick to judge about other people and say, oh, so-and-so did this and that and that's really bad. And we see uh, more and more we're seeing you know, people in public life saying things like that too, making very black and white statements about people, being very quick to speak, being very quick to judge. Okay, We're not to be like that. You know, So often the words that come out of our mouths are hasty, uh, inappropriate, uncalled for, because we don't know the whole truth. We don't know everything. If we take time to think before we speak, we can avoid trouble a lot. You know, how many times have you complained about something before you knew the whole picture? Um, I do this all the time. <laughs> and probably inappropriately. Last time I did it, um, I was speaking in, in a church and I caught a bus home and we were having our family Christmas. It was just before Christmas and so the whole clan, all the Lindas had come together and uh, they were at our house. And my wife has said to me, um, make sure you get here quickly because, you know, they arrived about 12, but I wasn't coming home until about 1 o'clock because I was preaching. And um, my wife had said to me, she said, you know, make sure that you let us know when you're coming and we'll send someone to the bus stop to pick you up because it's going to take me about 20 minutes to walk from the bus stop. So I thought, okay, that makes sense. Um, I'm happy to walk, but normally I would, but because time was short and we wanted to have a good time with our family. Um, 
So I sent her a text on the on the bus, and then I rang my son and said, I'm coming, I'll be at the bus stop at such and such a time. And uh, so I thought, well, I sent a text, she acknowledged it, I called my son and I told him what exactly what, I'm, what time I'm going to come, so there'll be somebody at the bus stop to pick me up. Get off the bus, nobody there. I was starting to get a bit upset at this point. So I thought, oh, blow it, let's walk. I don't care. So halfway home, I get a phone call saying, oh, we were there to pick you up. We sent you a message. Oh, okay. By this, this time, I got a bit frustrated, all right? So I thought, you know. So they picked me up and they said, oh, we sent you a message. Why, why didn't you see us? Because I was parked in a side street and they didn't see me. And then they sent me a text on uh, Facebook Messenger. And I said, what am I supposed to do? You didn't call me. Am I supposed to check my SMS, WhatsApp? Um, uh, what, what other signal? Um, what other messenger app do I have? And then Facebook Messenger. Do I have to check five different messaging apps before I find out who's going to pick me up? Because they, they actually had a lot of trouble getting the cars out because there were lots of people there and the cars parked in and they had to work out how to get a car out so they could actually come and get me. Anyway, so I, I got frustrated and ran, 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 and but yeah, if if I'd known all the trouble that they'd gone to to try and come and pick me up, I probably would have been less upset. But it's important, you know, just to speak slowly. Sometimes we speak harshly and rashly and too quickly and judgmentally, and we shouldn't. We need to just hold it back. And the same with our anger. You know, with our speech, often we release the anger that's inside our hearts. And this can cause so much damage to our relationship with other people. Showing anger can break down trust and it makes people run away from us, even if we don't intend them to. But just because we're angry or we come across as angry, people just, you know, walk away from us or walk around us, you know. But it's also not just anger about specific things. It's, it's a general disposition of anger that people can take on. You know, so often we get angry at God because we think that life is unfair. We lose our jobs, or we get sick, or people don't live up to our own expectations. You know, you need to be beware of this because anger can lead to bitterness and a cynical attitude about life, and this can turn your heart against God. I love this... Uh, Quote by Nelson Mandela. Should be up on the screen there. Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that it will kill your enemies. Just think about that. Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that it will kill your enemies. Okay, he sat in jail for I don't know how many years, decades. And he could have been, he had a brilliant excuse for being angry and bitter at the people who'd put him in prison. But don't let resentment build in your heart. Because if we do, it will affect our whole personality. And I've seen this happen. We, be we can become oversensitive. We become irritable and just generally cranky people who complain about everything. And people become like this. I've seen people who feel as if they're a victim because they're unhappy about a big disappointment in their life, like a marriage falling apart, a loved one dying, 
losing a job unfairly. And yes, sometimes things happen in our lives that are unfair. But as a result, this resentment builds up in their heart and they become angry at God and this can also then be taken out on other people around them. Be careful that it doesn't happen to you because carrying around resentment and anger is a load that you don't need to carry. Some people choose to do it anyway. But if you do, it can destroy you. You know, when we think about this, listen quickly, speak slowly, be slow to anger. You know, just, just think about the fact that God has actually set an example to us in all of these things. God listens to us. He's quick to listen. He loves to hear you when you talk to him, when you pray to him and you unload your burdens onto him. Sometimes he's slow to speak. He will speak, but sometimes he won't speak as quickly as you want him to because he doesn't drown you with words. God often speaks to us in a quiet and a slow voice. And we need to make sure that we're intent on listening so that we can hear what he is trying to say to us. God is also slow to anger. He doesn't get angry at you straight away. He's got time. He made the world. He made the history. He's got thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, not millions of years. He's not in a hurry. But when he does get angry, he has taken his anger and he's unloaded it on his own son in your place. So that his anger is not directed at you anymore. It's all been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. So he's not angry at you. Don't think if something bad happens to you that God is somehow is angry at you or he's punishing you. He's not. He's already dealt with his anger and there is no anger between you and God except for the anger that maybe you carry against him because he doesn't carry anger against you. Be quick to listen. Speak slowly and anger slowly. And then James reminds us that we need to also make sure that we're cleaning out our hearts on a regular basis. What's he saying? He's saying, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So if the word is really going to grow and prosper in our own hearts, remember it's the word, God's word, that is actually doing the transforming work. It's not because you are somehow a good person or making lots of effort, but if the word is going to grow in your heart, you also need to be cleaning out all the moral filth that is in your own heart. You need to take stock of where you're at and throw out the rubbish. You know, it's, I don't know if January is a good time for you, but we've been doing some house cleaning around the place and just getting rid of the stuff we don't need. Now is the time for you to do that too. The new year, getting ready for a new challenge, might be a new year at school or a new job, whatever it is, and having some space. Well, use that time, not just to clean out your house, but also to get rid of some filth in your own life. What is it? that is not honouring God that's in your life? You know, is it a habit that you've allowed to build up? 
Is there some routine that is not honouring God? Okay, now is the time to start something new. And then we need to act on God's word. So Paul um, James then goes on, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so you remember how I said about listening with intent? And this is what Paul is, uh, this is what James is now encouraging us to do. And so it's a very different type of listening. It's not just sitting there like I was doing last night and watching the tennis. Um, you know, just enjoying a game, watching Curios lose. But it's, it's really amazing how much we can learn when we're really paying attention. For example, if I, if I have to learn something because I have to teach it, I learn a lot more. That's why I really enjoy it, getting into this passage and seeing it's not, James is not actually on about doing. He's on about actually letting God's word into our lives and letting it take root and grow and prosper. Because when I have to teach something, then I'm not going to be embarrassed that I don't know enough about it. I want to make sure that when I stand up the front, I want to look like I actually know what I'm talking about. And that's why that kind of listening, listening with intent, listening with, a, with a, an intention of putting it into action is so important. And then James is saying you also need to reflect. And it's very interesting here that he uses the idea of looking into a mirror. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And that's what that's the word that we use when we talk about thinking about the things that we are learning. Thinking about something that we've been taught. That's what we call it. We call it reflection. Okay? Looking in a mirror, thinking about, okay, how does that, how, what does that mean for me? How do I actually put that into action? What, what are the implications for me? And this is what we do when we attend a small group Bible study. I mean, if church was just a matter of me standing here and telling you what to do, and then you go out and do it straight away, there wouldn't be, you know, done. Okay? It's easy very easy process but what actually needs to happen is for you to actually have time to think about okay what does that actually mean how do I apply that in my situation with all the, the relationship problems that I have in my particular context how do I do that what can I do and that's where a small group Bible study is so good because you can then hear from other people and say, well, I had this problem and uh, this is the way that I approached it and this is the way that God spoke to me and this is the way that I applied it. Some people also find it really helpful to keep a journal and to when they, when they read God's Word in the morning or in the evening, whatever it might be, they also keep a little journal and write out what they hear God is speaking to them personally. The reflection part is really important. Otherwise, we can be like the man who looks at his face in the mirror and then walks away and just forgets it. I do that. I mean, I, I remember I did that at university all the time. I'd be cramming up all these formulas and this information and I'd walk into the exam and I'd write it all out, walk away. I don't think I'd remember even a quarter of the stuff I learned at university now. I'd be absolutely terrible. 
but that process of reflection is so important. You know, looking at something in the mirror. Don't forget, remember, you know, mull on it and think it over. And then responding, verses 22 and verses uh, 25. You know, do it, put it into action. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You know, it's not, God's word is not an instruction manual. Don't think of it as that. Don't think of it as a road map either. It is not just to help you to put something together, like a piece of furniture. It's not something just to help you to get to a destination, but it's intended to change you to become more like the image of God. And most of this is generally in the area of relationships with other people around you. That's where it really shows. This is most often the source of frustration in people's lives. And if you do what God's Word says, then it's amazing how God can change and transform those relationships into something that gives you joy and blessing rather than something that is just a constant source of disappointment, letdown expectations, frustration, anger. And so we need to move ahead. And that's what James moves on to next. He says, okay, how do we, how do we move ahead? You know, it's a little bit like swimming, isn't it? Um, you know, swimming, if you don't know anything about swimming, but swimming is a combination of two things. It's a combination of breathing and it's a combination of using the right stroke. And when you start swimming, you don't know this, okay? Usually you just think about the stroke, but you don't think, actually think about the aspect of breathing. But when you're swimming, most of the time you actually have your head under the water for at least half the time. And so it's really important that you are able to, you know, work out within the, within your stroke how you can actually breathe correctly so that you can keep going. If you only breathe and don't move, then you won't get anywhere. Okay? So doing one or the other, if you only stroke but don't breathe, you're not going to get very far. You'll end up at the bottom of the pool in no time at all. So, living a Christian life is a little bit like that. Okay? We need to breathe. That means we need to take in God's word. We need to really listen. We need to stop. We need to look at it. We need to think about how do I actually apply this in my own life? What has God already done for me? What is it that I already have? What are the resources I have? How has God word, God's word been planted in my life? And then we can do what it says. And what we have to do is very clear from here. First of all, we're to guard three things. We're to guard our tongues. Okay, and we've talked about that. Be slow to speak. Because our tongues can so easily betray the content, content of our hearts. You know, if we have bad thoughts, lustful thoughts, immoral thoughts, dishonest thoughts, anger, bitterness, anything like that in, in our hearts, then it generally will come out through our tongues. And so we need to be very careful because most of us do have those things, if we're really honest. You know, we all have a tendency not to be perfect. You know, none of us has a pure and a clean heart. And if we don't watch what comes out through our mouth, then we can betray ourselves. 
And that's not appropriate because it doesn't encourage other people. But what we want to come out through our mouth are things that build people up, that encourage people towards God, not to drive them away from him. We also need to guard the vulnerable. James says, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Well, orphans and widows generally are fairly well looked after. I don't know if you know too many around you here today, but you know, what, what, how do we take that today? Well, I think what it's saying is that we need to be very careful that we're looking after the vulnerable. People who have no voice, people who are you know, left out, the poor, the disabled, the lonely, those without resources and networks to cope with life those who have been cut off from their families, those who are immigrants, refugees and asylum seekers, the people in our church who stand out, uh, who don't, sorry, who don't stand out and who are needy, people that other people might not feel comfortable talking to. Do you guard those that other people don't care about, that other people tend to just put aside? You need, do you make sure that those people are safe and they're not bullied? You know, with all the talk and the programs against bullying in our society, I think there's every, every school has had workshops on not bullying people, um, but, you know, it still happens. People are people, right? Our human nature deceives us and we, we tend to still uh, bully other people around us. Bullying seems to be on the increase rather than on the decrease. Uh, McCrindle is, um, is actually a Christian agency and they've done some research on this and they found that more students have exper- in schools, in our schools today, have experienced bullying than those who haven't. With 59% or 2.3 million students nationally saying that they have experienced bullying. With one in five experiencing it weekly. Four in five students recognise the seriousness of the issue of bullying with 80% saying it's a problem in their school and 20% saying it's an extremely or very serious problem. We think we live in an equal society, but actually we don't. People love putting others down and it's a big problem because it causes lots of issues in people's lives. We need to guard the vulnerable. We need to stand up to bullies. We need to stand up uh, for those who don't have a voice. Who are those people around you that you can stand up for? We need to guard our purity. And Paul um, James finishes with this. You know, we look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this is the last thing that James reminds us of. And it's interesting that he, he doesn't specify exactly what this means. He's writing to mainly a Jewish audience who had very specific ideas about purity. They had fairly high moral standards compared to the Gentile people that were living around them. Um, They had standards about sexual purity, about cleanliness, about tithing, uh, about living a godly life and telling the truth, being an honest person. They had the Ten Commandments that would have guided them as they sought to live pure and holy lives. 
And so we, you know, I think you know what being polluted by the world means and how we can put that into action in our lives, you know? The, the signs of our age, the greediness that uh, is prevalent everywhere, that we should be, you know, piling up wealth for ourselves and, and not looking after other people. You know, what, what is it in your life that you need to be aware of, that you need to stop being polluted? So let's do some pollution control in our lives, okay? So I'm going to give you some questions um, and allow you to reflect, to think about some of the things that I've said. Okay? So some of the questions I'm going to ask you is, do I spend time each day listening to God's Word? And what does that look like? Do I really listen? You know, I read God's Word, but... You know, do I just read it and then put it down and forget what it says? Do I actually take time to reflect on God's word? Second question, how do I speak too quickly and how can I slow down? You know, in the last week, what are the, some of the things that you've said? Maybe you spoke a bit rashly. Maybe you talk to God too much. Maybe you don't spend enough time listening to God. Now, it's not just, it's just about how you're relating to other people. James is talking about our general disposition here. Three, is there anger in my life that I haven't dealt with? Is there a kind of a bill? Is there a resentment there? Is there a resentment in my life against someone in else? someone in my family, someone in my church, someone at work that I haven't actually dealt with, that I haven't forgiven that person. And I'm still drinking that poison hoping it's going to hurt them. Is there any anger there? Four, do I have a habit that's not in line with God's word? Is there something that I've just fallen into a habit of doing? And it's almost become like an addiction that I can't stop. You know? Now's the time to deal with it. Clean it out. Anything that's moral filth, just deal with it, get rid of it. And the last one, how do I help the weak and vulnerable who are in my life? Are there people in around me, in my sphere, in my, uh, in my world, People who need to be protected. People need, who need to be stood up for. People that I can help and show care and concern for, even though nobody else does. Remember that God's word is not about information. Okay? Remember I said that at the start? It's about transformation. If you're coming to church just to hear a good Bible talk, Maybe you're coming looking for the wrong thing. If you come into church looking for transformation, how can my life be changed? How can my life reflect God's Word? How can my life reflect what Jesus Christ has done in my life and has changed me and helped me to be a new person? That I've become born again. You know, as we grow in God's Word, it should change who we are, how we react to people, how we relate, and the kinds of choices that we make in our lives that reflect the character of God. Once we start to do then, 
that then we're showing the power of God's word in our lives. People can see that. You become like a different person. Yeah. And I really like that new person. I'm not sure about the old one, but the new one is very attractive. And I want to become like that too. And I want to be like that too. And that's how we can encourage each other to the church. Don't we pray that we can do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, that you've planted your word in our lives. Thank you that you have given us birth by the word, by your word of truth. That we can belong to Jesus Christ and that you have made us new people. Thank you, Father, for the transformation that that can bring in us. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to help us to change and to become like the people you want us to be. Help us to reflect Jesus to other people in the way that we speak, in the way that we have the right attitude to you and to other people, in the way that we care and look after the weak and the vulnerable among us, and not just among us, but also outside of us. Our Father, we pray that you will help us to be doers of your word, not just listeners, but that you'll help us to listen well, to listen with intent, to listen in order that we can put it into action in our lives. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.